I don't know about you guys, but I don't like sales. I don't like the idea of sales. I don't like the thought of sales. It is just not a pleasant conversation. So I'm so glad you tuned in today because we're going to try to discuss that and demystify some of these ideas around sales. So thank you for tuning in to a Mission Driven You podcast. My name is Will Sampson. I'm a change coach and a social scientist. And today I'm excited to host Jeremy Pope from Sales Call Overhaul. Jeremy is an expert on sales and really demystifying the process and asking how can I build trusted relationships with the people that I want to serve so that I'm not selling, but instead I'm really living my life in service. So thank you for joining in. Excited to host this conversation and let's get started. So welcome to the podcast, Jeremy Boat. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. So as you know, we focus a lot on interdependence and kind of how we help each other succeed. The whole idea of mission-driven people is that they realize they need other people to help them succeed. So we always like to start with one question, which is, tell us the story of someone or some group that was like the difference maker for you. When you look back over your journey, you're like, oh yeah, that man, that woman, that person, that teacher, whatever. Who was that person for you? This was my third hypnosis reader as I was becoming a clinical hypnotist. And I found that well, he actually taught interdependence as well. He taught him wow of maturity, cool. talking about dependence, independence, and then interdependence yeah. afterwards. And while it's not something I've made a huge study of, so I can't, I can't say how well it meshes with the well-established ideas of all that. It certainly made an impact on me, just the idea itself. And wow, learning to go beyond the rebellion phase in my adult life and in my business career. I, I think aside from my parents, he's probably taught me more about growing up than any other single person. Wow. But he taught me a lot about how to sell. He taught me good hypnosis techniques. He helped me be a much better counselor. And I am very grateful to him. I yeah. love that story. I love that story. Yeah. And and the idea of codependence, independence and and interdependence. I think back to the great Stephen Covey, who said that trying to live life independently is like trying to play, I believe he said something like trying to play golf with a tennis racket. Like the, the tool isn't uh-huh. suited to the, to, the, to the need. Yeah. And the reality is that we are caught up in this web of interdependence. And particularly when we're talking about sales and kind of how we, how we think about sales. So I want to jump right in on that. So as I was sharing with you in the conversation before the podcast. A lot of people listening to this podcast are either entrepreneurs, they're coaches, solopreneurs, and most of the people listening to this podcast don't have somebody else who pays them by the hour to do what they do, which means that that they're out there selling something, whether it's their service, their coaching services, whether it's curriculum, maybe it's you know entrepreneurs who are selling products, consumer products and all that. But everybody's involved in sales. And so I want to start with this question that that you suggested, but I absolutely love it, which is why do sales suck so bad? And they do. Like I'll, I'll personally, I'll just share personally, like the idea of sales. And it's not like I'm for, it's a foreign concept to me. My dad was in sales. I grew up around salespeople all my life. Sales just seems to suck. Why? Well, 
when it sucks, it's because someone is creating drama. Mm-hmm. And you can think of this like the Cartman drama triangle, the KDT. Yeah. And there are great books on that. Uh, Chris West has an amazing book on the Cartman drama triangle explained. But if you're creating drama, a persecutor, rescuer, or a victim, right, then it's going to suck. If you make it boring, it's going to suck. If you're trying to sell something that the person in front of you doesn't actually need, uh, then it's really going to suck. And so <laughs> there are a lot of different reasons that it could become unpleasant or that it could become annoying or, or anxiety producing. There are a lot of different ways it could be unpleasant. But when you track down, okay, what exactly is going wrong, then you can unsuck your sales. Um, yeah. Remember that suggested question, but I do like it. <laughs> so it, it's, it's really about tracking down the, the route. Um, yeah. With most people who are in the coaching or the solopreneurial space, right? They, one of the things that I have to look at as a sales trainer, a sales coach, a sales team installer, we, we do a lot of sales ops stuff for the people doing half a million to five million a year, things like that. But when someone is coming in and they're learning sales for themselves, it's very easy to get in your head when you don't have a qualified lead flow. And mm-hmm. so, there are plenty of people who I have to tell, all right, sorry, you're, you're not ready for me. You need to go to somebody who's good with the lead gen. You need to go to somebody who will help you figure out the prospecting side or the strategic partner. Well, I can help them on that side, the affiliate side, but right. getting good leads in. If you've got 30 people a week that you're talking to and you're making one sale a week, that's a miserable equation right there because and half the time it's because of your sales skill, you're, you're lacking something or you're doing something weird in your head and you're putting pressure on them. But the other half of the time, you're not talking to the right people in the first place. I mean, it confuse you and make you think that you're bad at sales when in reality, you're bad at marketing and you just have to get good to stay at the content generation. You need to go make a podcast. You need to go write a book. You need to go create lead magnets and run ads. You need to do something to get the right people into your funnel so that you can be talking to people who can buy from you, who need what you have. So yeah. I don't know, it's it counterintuitive. It, it was to me, it seems to be to a lot of people, but a lot of times the sales problem is actually a marketing problem. You have to address it as such. Yeah, I know that's really helpful. And unpack that a little bit more for us because I have a general sense, you know, this idea, the difference between marketing and sales. I think anybody who has been involved in selling yourself kind of has a vague notion of the difference between the two. But I want you to get really specific on the difference between marketing and sales, because I think this is a really important thing for people to hear. To me, it's a a big continuum. And let's let's see. Okay. There there are a few concepts that pop out to me. One is, I talk about the cult of no light trust, the KLT. And how it's not enough to make a sale. It's fine. It, it will help you make a sale. It will right. never hurt you if people know you like you and trust you. But it's not what a sale is about. It is in large part what marketing is about. Mm-hmm. So marketing, KLT is a marketing function more than it is a sales function. So that's one, one way to think about it. But still, when we talk about, when we talk about an offer, 
I can't remember if it was John Carlton or Gary Halbert. It, it was one of the great copywriters of the 80s or 90s, something like that. Yeah. They yeah. talked about putting me in front of a hungry crowd or what's, what's the number one, the number one thing that you need in an offer? A hungry crowd. So right. it still matters a lot just targeting you in front of the right people. So let's see. The things that you're doing the same in sales and marketing, maybe I can hit it from that direction. Sure. You're, you're building desire either by exposing pain and existing pain. Creating pain is not something that is a zero pressure thing. We don't do that in zero pressure sales or zero pressure marketing. You can help people construct vision. You can build that. A lot of people need help building a vision. They don't, they don't have their own as, as much as you think they do. If, if you're a visionary yourself and if you're a founder, you often are a visionary. But then you'll, you'll often find that people who are not founders, they're not highly entrepreneurial. They may need some help putting together the last third of the vision or clarifying things around that. So building desire and then reducing the fear of risk of working with you specifically. And they, I talk about the, the remit fears that people have, the, the common objections that people have in marketing. So we've got reputation, we've got energy. We've got money, we've got identity, we've got time. And so the, these things, these people, your prospects are afraid of wasting these things with you. You can think of identity and, and reputation as just internal and external versions of the same thing. What do I got think it. about myself and what am I afraid other people think about me? Yeah. So, so you're doing a lot of that objection handling in your marketing and the, the earlier you can handle objections in your process, the better you're going to do. In fact, in, in my sales process, I, I don't even know how to stop rambling on this. Stop me once we get to no, you're great. No, this is okay. good. Yeah, no, give it. Okay. Please. Um, when you're in your sales process and you know the right. three or seven objections that your market has, how dare you not be ready to address those things before they bring it up? Yeah, that's one of the biggest zero pressure methods that you can use in a sales process that transforms a sales call entirely. I call it the elephant in the room technique and right. specific, a specific version of that. I'll just share that right now. If you, if you like, yeah, please. I call it the price up front technique. So will you role play with me for just a second? Gladly. I love it. Yeah, please. Well, all right. So, well, I am not the smoothest salesperson in the world. And I get weird about money sometimes and I'm feeling a little bit, I'm pressuring myself about money a little bit right now. Do you mind if I just tell you the price right now and we can spend the next 40 minutes on our sales call just exploring whether that's a good fit? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'll, I'll stop there for a second and, right. um, and explain. So I just asked for a commitment. Will you stick with me after hearing the price? Interesting. Say yes. It usually right. gets a laugh and it makes you very vulnerable. It doesn't make you more vulnerable, but it, it, uh, it shares the vulnerability with you. Yeah. It's very true. Allows you to be vulnerable. Yeah. 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 There, the second half of that is after they say, sure. You say, okay, cool. It's $24,000 to install a sales team. Now I can relax and you can scream or you can have sticker shock or whatever you need to do. <laughs> right. So 
is that even in range? Should we even keep on talking? And then they'll give you one of three answers. Yes, no, or maybe. I mean, that covers all right. bases, right? True, yeah. So when they say yes, you are 60% closed at minute four of your call. Wow. Yeah, they hear I the love this. And they say, yeah, that's in, in range. We can work with that. You are 60% closed, not 90% closed. Don't make right. any mistakes about that, but you're right. nearly two-thirds closed. Yeah. If they say maybe, or if they hedge, then you know you've got some pricing issues or some affordability issues, a pricing structure issue or something along those lines to deal with. And you have 40 minutes to handle it. To handle it. Yeah, because they've agreed to spend the time with you. Yeah. You can you can collaborate with them and pull together against that load of the problem instead of butting heads or pulling in opposite directions. You're working together. It's a it's a collaborative problem solving style of selling. And then if they're saying no, then you're either talking to someone who should have been disqualified before they got to the sales call. Depending on your funnel, every funnel is different. Sure. A lot of times those people should have been DQ'd beforehand. And so, you know, you have a marketing problem in that case. Right. Or if they say, no, I'm out, then you have a flag for this person may not have been a good client in the first place, regardless Mm. of whether they were qualified. If this is someone who doesn't keep their word, or if this is someone who is extremely impulsive, most of the people I deal with are service founders, either a done-for-you service or a, like an agency service or a coach of some type. So we're talking about relationship sales. And if somebody is going to give you one answer and then change their mind entirely 20 seconds in when they are qualified, that should be a bit of a flag. Not, not 30 flags, but a flag. And it, yeah. so it lets you know you've got a, a different problem. But regardless, it, it lets you know a lot about this person. It lets you know a lot about where you stand with, how much they trust you, what kind of issues you're going to have to deal with on this call. So it, that's the price up front technique. That's the whole thing. It's a minute yeah. long. And I guess to bring it back up to the top level of the difference between marketing and sales, marketing is harder than sales because you have to guess. You have to know a lot more about yeah the average person, and there's no such thing as the average person. It's just this person and that person. And right. okay. You put them all together, you got the average, yeah. but no, no one of them individually is that average. Yeah. And in yep. sales, you don't have to guess anymore. All you yep. have to do is ask and they will tell you. And so that's the selling. I mean, as, as much as I'd like to say, oh, selling is incredibly hard and I'm really good at teaching it to you and all, all this kind of right. stuff. Selling is, is just not as hard. When you, when you get a good marketing system, selling does and should become easier and it should all be natural from start to finish. For most of the coaches out there who are givers, they need a giver sales process and a giver marketing process. And yeah. once they nail that, then it, it becomes very easy and natural for them. Boy, there's, there's, I have three follow-up questions so part, <laughs> everything you just shared, but let's start with giver, like the giver model. Cause I know what you're talking okay. about, but unpack that for us. What does that mean? Sure. Well, I can, I can give some examples. A lot of the founders in the service industry are starting off based on buying a, a course or a coaching program from somebody in the biz ops space, right? A right. start your own business kind of thing. Yep. The yep. biz ops space tends to be 
a bit more predatory than some other spaces. Mm -hmm. It tends to be a bit more cult of personality and the customers. I'm not even talking about the gurus in that space right now, but the the customers, the clients in that space tend to be less mature because they're starting their business. They're starting their business journey or they're restarting for the night time or, or something like that. Either way, they've got some significant blocks that they're dealing with or have never dealt with. And so there's some maturity blocks there. So maybe they've never learned their way from independence into interdependence, for instance. Right. And they refuse right. to hire at the right times. So or anyway, they've probably blocked and sympathized themselves, as we all do. Definitely right. daily. So right. But that space in particular, the methods that work in that space and the methods that are necessary for a lot of gurus in that space are pretty hardcore. They're condescending in any other space because in another space, you may be dealing with very mature business owners and the way that you talk to a biz op buyer cannot be the way that you talk to a cleaner who is doing 3 million a year and who has 40 employees. Like these are totally different styles of conversations. And so if all you've learned as a giver is a taker sales process that's high pressure, that's binary, that's a fast action discount that expires in three hours if you don't buy right now and all the deadline funded stuff and all the, all the automated stuff that's designed to look non-automated and all that, all that kind of thing. When we have a taker sales process, it can make a giver feel very unnatural as they're trying to work within that structure but they don't know anything else. If they're starting their business, they just don't know any better. And so they're, they're doing their best, but any unnatural process for you is going to suppress your close rate from where it ought to be. So just by finding a process that feels natural for you, you're instantly going to close better. Instantly, like a same day. And then when you plug in healthy techniques and healthy relationship builders and things that increase retention and stick rate, lower your refunds and chargebacks, all that kind of stuff. You have carry-on effects from that. And then when you plug in all of the, just the zero pressure methods that get someone to pull the sale from you instead of you pushing the sale to them, that increases the close rate as well. So, I mean, it's three different effects that's happening all at the same time. Usually when somebody comes to me, I can double or triple their close rate pretty simply. I guarantee that I'll raise it by 25%, but I can usually double it or triple it because it's fundamental things going wrong, not nuanced, tweaky, small modifications. It's usually big stuff. And most of the time it has to do with having very unnatural conversations that feel very unnatural to both parties in that situation. So just making it natural makes a big difference. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you pointing out what can often be the predatory nature of the biz ops space. I had a client come to me and in the last two years, they've spent more than 40 grand on things that were going to help them, <laughs> you know, do this or do that, or all these, all these amazing opportunities. And they were, they came to me as they were exploring yet another one. And <laughs> my first thing was, okay, this Let's stop. Just stop that. Now let's have a conversation about, you know, what it is you're really trying to, to make happen and 
I'm going to let people know, like, and trust you for just a moment. Tell me how you're different than the bizarre predatory, hey, buy my thing. You know, tell me how you work with clients in a way that's that's different. And and isn't that sort of, I don't know, the normal, even sales coach often feels like the, the, the sales coaches I've approached sometimes feel a little bit like, you know, buy before midnight and you know, get a free set of steak knives or I don't know, kind of thing. Like what distinguishes what you do from that? Well, I could give a few examples, but I don't know if I can put a principle around it. I, I like that question. I'm going to have to think about the principles behind it a little bit more. So sure. Yeah. First of all, I've sold steak knives before. Oh, I have, <laughs> was I've it cut sold- cut? It was not. No, it was okay. forever sharp. It was in-store entertainment, they called it. Got it. So yeah. I did the the shows in the Sam's and Wallace for the vegetable slice, right. the mandolin slicers and all that stuff. Right. I did the on-the-hour <laughs> shows. So that was a wild. I've never had to be that outgoing before. That was an amazing little trick there. There are a lot of salespeople that have the mindset. This shows up more in mindset, from the mindset down to a bunch of little behaviors that may not seem consistent until you look at, okay, we've got a high pressure mindset versus a zero pressure mindset. So the high pressure mindset will say things like, there's no such thing as a be back. You hear this a lot in the car industry, like I'll be back. No, that's not real, but it can be real. It absolutely can be real. And one of the most famous salespeople in the world, Joe Girard was a car salesman for at least for a long time. I, I don't know if that was his entire career, but he wrote books and books. And he sent people cars all year long. I mean, I cannot imagine, but that he wore out more pencils and pen, more pens than any other salesperson alive yeah. because he was always sending people cars. He got the beatbacks. And I mean, you could argue that that's marketing, not sales. Okay, fine. Personal branding, right. organic marketing, sales. Okay, let's let's not worry too much about terms, but the mindset of zero pressure and of being willing to have a relationship with someone, being willing to yeah. form that relationship is a big difference. So I probably get a third of my sales from people who are not ready right now and come back later. And that does not happen when you're running a high volume, high pressure funnel with a one call close approach. And I mean, my, my process is designed for a one call close. There's nothing wrong with closing on the first call, but being willing to let this go until they qualify, being willing to let this go until their situation puts them in a space where they're ready, being willing to help them clarify what readiness looks like. Here's, here's one way this happens. I use something that I call the four W's. Why us? Why now? Openness. I can only remember three at a time usually. So it's okay. They're why this, why now, why us, what else? That, that's my four W's. Yeah. I love it. So when we ask why, why are you interested in this kind of solution? What got you interested in? And it might, it might sound like, so why did you take my fall in the first place? It's your cold calling. Or yeah. so what problem are we trying to solve if they're if they've applied to work with you? Or I see on your full application that you said XYZ. 
tell me more about that. There are a lot of different versions of that kind of question. It's not about the question. It's about making sure you have a really solid answer to that conceptual question. Why this? And then why us? So there are a lot of sales trainers out there and there are plenty of low pressure, zero pressure sales trainers out there, although they might not call themselves that like I do. Why are you interested in talking to me specifically? Like why, why would you even bother with little old me? It's, it's, it's kind of a humility based sale, I guess you could say. And then why now? Why not wait another six months? Why didn't you do it six months ago? Why why is now the time to do anything about this? What are you going to do if you don't do this with me today? Let's get real clarity around what all the options truly are. I call it honest outs. So asking people real questions that are not designed just to build a yes set. Yes sets are generally gross. <laughs> that can be used well. Right. Um, it's a rare bird that can use a yes set effectively and in a natural way without making people feel pressured. Chris Voss of the Never Split the Difference fame and Black Swan Group. Great YouTube channel, by the way. I love their YouTube channel. Uh, they talk a lot about building a no set or they don't call it that, but they, they ask no oriented questions. I think is what they call it. So would it be crazy for me to ask if we did blah, blah, blah. And when people are allowed to say no, even if it's just a a surface level, no, like that, it really opens up the conversation in some interesting ways. And so I I advocate against trying to build a yes set. I'm not quite as rules oriented as they are around like use a no oriented question kind of thing, but it's a great concept all, all the same. So there are a lot of ways that the zero pressure mindset plays out and asking honest questions like, Hey, th- that elephant in the room question, the price upfront question. Hey, this is a 24K purchase to get your sales systems installed for supporting your salespeople, for installing your recruiting process to recruit good salespeople. And yes, we can place a couple people with you, of course, but getting you ready from a leadership perspective. I mean, that's a lot of money for some people. What is that for you? Like, that's a very honest question right there. And it's not designed to pressure people into feeling like they have to answer a certain way. It's not designed to, to take advantage of someone's ego who might be feeling like they need to live up to your standards as a guru or as an, if you're an influencer in particular and you're doing your own sales, this is a thing because they don't want to disappoint you. I mean, so many people put you in the dad position as a guru. <laughs> I want you to be my business dad. And right. Right. <laughs> there, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Everybody needs mentors and et cetera. But sure. you have to be very, you have to be aware of the responsibility that that places on you as a guru, as a salesperson, as a whatever. And, right. and ask them honest questions that give them the freedom to answer in real ways. If you're yeah. asking people, questions that pressure them into a certain answer, it is fake. It is a fake answer if it's a pressured answer. And even if you get the credit card, even if you get the sale, even if you get the result you're looking for, you're not going to get the full result. You're not, you haven't gotten all the buy-in that you could have gotten there. You don't have the strong foundation. That relationship is built on sand instead of bedrock. And so 
that's what causes the refunds, the chargebacks, the rescission. That's why you have a rescission period after a seminar in Vegas of what is it, three days or two weeks or whatever it is, it, as long as it's in the state of Nevada. And so if you have honest questions, then you're going to go far. And if you're vulnerable with honest questions, you're going to go far and just expose it. Like, hang on, pause for a second. And what is the real problem that we're solving here? Hang on, I want to check in with you. Hang on, I want to know. Right. Is this a big deal or is this a little deal? A lot of people I talk to say this is a problem for them, but is it really for you? That kind of question is very powerful. Mindset behind it, that humble seeker mentality is, it makes an enormous difference in keeping you as a salesperson, as a guru, as an influencer, as a coach, as a business owner, whatever, in a zero pressure place. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. What I also like, Jeremy, is, is the way you approach it. I know is very authentic to you, to your journey, to your own personal story, which is to me also like we could have spent the whole time just talking about your journey. And so I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear about that as well, because this whole idea of zero pressure sales and, and, and honest approach to sales, zero, you know, low pressure and all that, I, I think comes out of your own story. So tell us your, Tell us your story. Give us a give us a sense of who you are and how you got to be sitting here today talking to me about about sales approaches. Sure, mostly through the failure, a lot of failure. Yeah. So I was selling from nineteen ninety nine or two thousand. I was selling since two thousand. Yeah. I was selling door to door to lawyers, selling my real estate services, title searches, title abstraction mm -hmm. to, to lawyers because. Mm -hmm. It's low dollar work for them when they're doing real estate closings and they need right. somebody else to do that stuff. Right. So learning that I didn't have to wear a coat and tie in the sweltering Georgia sun <laughs> as I drove around to all the attorney's offices in three or four tunes that I was closest to. I knew nothing back then. I thought the logo mattered back then. I thought the brochure was what mattered back then. But I, I've been selling... So I, I, I did that in my dropout year of college, my only year of college. And I went next to, okay, what am I going to do now? So I kept doing that and I waited tables on the side and I started an SAT prep consulting business because I missed three questions on the SAT back when I took it. And so I was like, all right, that's enough credentials to do something with. Let's, let's play it. Let's see what happens. And so I got some clients for that service. And I guess there was a, a lot of it as a story of brazenness as well, just being shameless in, in the, the same way as th there's an armor that comes from humility. That is, I, I don't know if I can describe it because I'm still working through some of that stuff myself, but it's, uh, I've, I've seen it in a lot of places. I, I talk about, uh, okay. I talk about how God freed me from a porn addiction. And for a long time, I was unwilling to talk about that publicly because that's shameful. That's embarrassing. That's too private. That's, that's far too intimate, you know? And I, I realized maybe three years ago, something like that. This was age 38, 37, something, something around those age that, well, if I'm 
unwilling to speak about this publicly, if I'm still ashamed of it, then maybe I still have some healing to do around that. Maybe there's something else that Jesus wants to do in my heart around that. So what happens if I start talking about it? And so I did, and it made a big difference for me. And hopefully it's made a difference for other people, just knowing that, because I've since found that maybe a, a third of, of Christian men struggle with an addiction to not just use it from time to time, but an addiction. I mean, it's, it's endemic. It's, it's amazing how common this is. And so, but I, I didn't want to be that guy who like, Oh, is, is that what I'm going to get known for? Oh, that's not okay. So right. legacy and that, all that kind of stuff. Where, where am I really going with the legacy? But a lot of that stuff is just not up to me. It's okay. What, what does God want for me? All right. I'll do that then. Okay. So that's, that's part of it. But being being able to put yourself out there, and I call it being the dancing clown, that's almost more on the marketing side than the sales side for for me. But my ego has nothing to do with this anymore. It's what is the goal, and is my is my goal more important than my ego or not? And if it's not, then all right, I can protect my ego and play small. But if I want to play big, then got goals that I cannot accomplish by myself. I must recruit others for this. And I must be willing to expose a lot more than I'm comfortable exposing. It's, it's similar to hiring a, a really good assistant. I've got a great executive assistant. And he is all up in my business. Like, <laughs> very little. As a good one should know. be. Yeah, right. you have to be. But you have to be willing right. to give up privacy in order yeah. to get things done in a lot of ways. And so I think that's a big part of the journey is just being will. What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to sacrifice on the altar of not just in a spiritual sense of what does God want, but in the, the objective sense of what's the goal, the altar of the goal, right. you know, All right. What, what will I give up to get that? Do I care about this more than I care about these other things? So a lot of my, a lot of my journey, I was a clinical just for 10 years. And so I help right. people lose weight, stop smoking, deal with chronic pain, asthma, allergies, and, and phobias. Those were my big five right there. You can't see it on screen, but my whole, yeah. So those, those things, that was 90% of my business. And I got into that from the SAT prep consulting. Just, well, what if we started doing memory improvement along with this? Right. And one of my clients' moms wanted help stopping smoking. Sure. Okay. Let's, let's do that. So just stumbling and bumbling my way into the next thing, really. But that is yeah. how I learned how to sell was being a hypnotist because I learned I that. people's inner worlds are so rich. I call it the million dollar ear. We're building games around the, the million dollar ear and learning to listen to people's internal metaphors. They say, I, I'm stuck. Okay. Do they see themselves being stuck or do they feel stuck? If they see themselves yeah. being stuck, are they in a hole or is there a wall in front of them? Or are they tied to something? Or like, what are they literally seeing in their heads and trying to join them in their world? Um, right. So that's, that's how being a good hypnotist teach, teach me. Come on, Jeremy taught me to be a good hypnotist right. salesperson. Right. It did not teach me to be a good talkist, but I <laughs> learned to be a good salesperson. <laughs> right. So. That was, that was a big part of the journey. And then I, I was a client success director for a coaching company called Traffic and Funnels back in 2016. And I learned a lot about online marketing, the webinar funnels and things like that in that space. And I've 
I've been funnel closer on several funnels. And I mean, every piece just plays together. And now I install sales teams and do sales team coaching and founder, founder sales coaching, all that stuff, that sales call overhaul. But, um, I don't know. It's just, it's a very evolutionary journey, I guess. Yeah. I can't say I decided to go after one thing and that's it. It was just spotted opportunities and kind of built the vision, like Hal Newport talks about. And so they can't ignore you. You build your passion rather than finding your passion. And I've certainly found that to be true for me. I appreciate that. There's so much, honestly, that could be a whole other episode is uh, especially vulnerability. I know, you know, my, my story, I shared with the TEDx audience, my story of addiction, overcoming addiction and actually spending five weeks in jail. That felt like at the time, I remember getting ready to walk up on the stage, just thinking I've ended my life. Like, uh, this is, this is everybody will always remember me as the drunk <laughs> who went to jail. Like that's going to be the, yeah. my story the rest of my life. Not true, no. but there is something incredibly powerful in being able to be vulnerable. And it relates, really, it doesn't it, to this question of zero, zero uh, pressure Very sales, much. doesn't it? Very much. Yeah. Yeah. It plays in deep. Boy, in, I appreciate in I that. I never could have expected or planned or yeah. appreciated. Man, right. I did not appreciate that for so long. Yeah. One of the things I'm going to ask you to do is to, and I, we'll, we'll follow up on this after the episode, but is to put together maybe your top four or five books and maybe some great resources in addition to your resources. And we can put it in the notes because I was trying to track the books you mentioned. <laughs> You've already mentioned three or four. I'd love to maybe, you know, pick your brain and have you come up with some of the best um, books that you recommend. And we're also going to send people to your site and to your resources. Yeah. We're kind of near the end, but we got a little, a few minutes left. So if I were to think of the ideal listener, you know, there's several different avatars or prototypes, but, but one of them is the coach who just finished their first ICF certification or their first ever coach certification. Mm-hmm. And they're getting ready or, or actually I've got a couple folks that I know listen to the podcast to bar nutrition or fitness coaches. Mm-hmm. And so they've, they've sort of got this training. They're ready to go out in the world kind of talk them through the process. Like what what are some of the building blocks that people could begin to put in place that will get them to that inevitable sales? You're going to have to go beyond your current audience. Unless you're already what some people would call an influencer, then we're going to have to build audience for this. Um, Focus on your email list. Focus on your your SMS list. Um, John Jett talks about I think it's in duct tape marketing. He talks about own the racetrack. Yeah, you can be mm. a winning racehorse in any kind of decision, but own the racetrack. So make sure yeah. that you own as much of the platform that you're, that you're communicating with your people through as you can. Every platform, every system has algorithms that are going to limit your reach to your own audience. And that's just a fact right. of these days. The, the texting platforms, the, the phone carriers are going to limit you. 60% of your email list is likely to be Gmail. So you are dependent on Google's spam filters and et cetera. To, right. They're going to limit you on that stuff. So you have to learn how to use each platform, but have backup channels available to you. You cannot be totally dependent on Facebook, TikTok, or YouTube, or email, or you, you need, you need backup methods. So build the audience, build it in multiple channels where you have as much control as you can find. Right. And B, the formula that I would look for is 
entertainment first, not second or third, first. Hmm. Uh, that was a really annoying to me. <laughs> right. I, I right. resented that for a long time. <laughs> don't, don't resent it. Just use it. <clears throat> right. Informative and actionable second or second or third, whatever. I don't know. And deep third. I, I think those three things mm. entertaining, actionable, and deep or insightful or, or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. There are a lot of people that try and get too abstract or they. They get too tactical, like they're, they're talking at the wrong level to their audience on a consistent basis. And you have right. to bounce around those levels at the right tempo for your people, or they will lose interest. Um, mm-hmm. If everything is actionable, then your emails or your texts or your videos become to-do items. I mean, how many of us, well, a lot of us in the business or the business ops world have seen clients with. 42,000 unread emails in their inbox. I'm not joking. That's a real number. (laughs) But it's very common to have over a thousand unread emails in the inbox. Um, So don't turn into a to-do for your, for your people. They don't need another to-do. They need hope. They need um, to feel understood. Yeah. They need to have some fun while they succeed with you. They need small wins. I mean, any good coach is going to find this very quickly as they as they progress in their coaching journey. And hopefully in training, they're getting training around this stuff too. But your people need wins. They need confidence in you that know, like, trust. It can't all be trust if you, yeah. if you want them to buy. So don't focus overly on authority. Focus first on entertainment and build the authority as well through insight and actionability, but true. And entertain that first, I'd say. As they get motivation, persuasion, sales, leadership, coaching, they're all of a piece in my mind. And it's not about what you want for someone that your coach audience has almost certainly heard that you can never want it more than they do kind of concept. You can't want something for someone more than they want for themselves and expect to get results with that. So at every point in your marketing process and your sales process, they must be buying in. They must be working to get to you at least as much as you're working to get to them. And toward the beginning, that may not be the case, but you must flip that switch as soon as possible or you've got no electricity you've just got a road circuit you have to yeah you have to start flipping that buy-in switch position very sales process so whatever whatever gets you to buy in from people at every point of your style that's what you need to be doing whatever that looks like for you get the buy-in get the buy-in get the buy-in yeah buy-in all along the way i love yeah. that yeah, Jeremy, this doesn't happen all at the end. It happens yeah. all along the way. Yeah. I love that. I love that. This has been such a rich and insightful conversation. I'm so excited to share this with my audience. Thank you. But inevitably, they're going to want to know, okay, now how do I get in touch with Jeremy? So how do they, how do people do that? And how can they engage with you? There's one place that will get them everywhere related to me. It's, right. it's called overhaul.com slash resources. Got it. It has book recommendations which I'll also make sure to take give you some specific ones for the show notes here. It's got the price up front technique, 
we've laid that out very specifically. Yeah. That we went through earlier in this podcast. It's got sales funnel dashboard spreadsheet that they can use to, okay, what your numbers have to be here to make this process work versus that process. It's got, it's got everything. And, and we're launching a podcast of our own shortly. Oh, excellent. So, yeah. Please let us know when that is so I can let this, so I can share that with the audience as well. It's supposed to be January 31st. We've had, it feels right. like a perpetual podcast launch at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my hope. It's January 31st. We'll see. Well, thanks for being vulnerable about that as well. It always, like <laughs> starting a podcast, I know people think, well, you just get together and you talk with people. No, there's a lot of moving parts. So I thought it was I'm glad you're so doing that. I, I really yeah. did think it was going to be easy. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of moving parts. Well, this has been a rich, generative conversation, insightful. I'm super duper excited to share it with the audience. And I appreciate you bringing your brain and yourself and your presence to this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.